Reveille, Reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. It is Friday, the 24th of July, 2020, and it is time, donks, for Morning Combat Extra. Hi, everyone. I am one half of your hosting duo. My name is Luke Thomas. I am joined by the gentleman on the other side of the screen, the Conspiracy to My Theory. He is the man in combat sports over at CBS Sports, Connecticut's own raccoon, dumpster, I don't know, searcher, eater, guy who just rummages through the garbage for food. It's my friend and yours. It's Brian Campbell. Hi, Brian. How are you? Uh, very well, Luke. It's a, I'm a man who knows what I want and what I like. Okay, Luke. All right. Uh, a show so nice. We had to do it twice this week. And can hmm. we take that fourth wall and just remove it for a second, Luke? Because people were in virtual upheaval over what they thought was a want want a little bait and switch a little fight island part two sort of we're gonna give you the palm tree no we're not we're gonna put it in an arena the big surprise on monday's show it wasn't supposed to be jay okay okay all right jay filled in for that big surprise okay the big surprise is what came after what we're gonna get into today that boxing's back in a big way with PBC and Showtime. So uh, all people ready to uh, raise Jake up on a Jay on a stake here and let him uh, hang for our sins. Uh, he tried his best. I know it sounded like he was coming in from an airplane hangar, but he tried his best. All right. Yeah. So two responses to that. One, you're right. The big announcement was supposed to be we were going to debut the Showtime boxing schedule, but then the announcement got pushed to Wednesday. And then the other part was, oh, my God, they were so bitter at Jay. I didn't hear the hissing of that AC window unit he has until I went back and watched the video afterwards, BC, and I wanted to die. I couldn't believe how awful it sounded. So good news today. There's no Jay on the show today. I'm sure our listeners and viewers, BC, will find a way to carry on. They will sleep through the night tonight. Yeah, and he had that weird Inspector Gadget bad guy, uh, you know, camera over his shoulder. I felt like I was like watching ladies undress on a on a sneaky bathroom cam or something gross like that. But hey, we're past that period. Will Jay return at the normal Monday show? We'll have to wait and see. But uh, for now, we got a big extra show planned, Luke. Uh, a lot of fights this weekend. A lot of fight news. What about a guest? You want to do a guest? You want? You yeah. Want so we're, got, want, we're, you know? we're we're going to do our first. I mean. We had Aljamain Sterling, but he was he was a guest slash host because you weren't there. It was me, Chuck, and Aljamain. So I guess this is our first live. Well, was that show live? I don't know. Maybe this is our second guest. It's the first time we've ever done it in this way, you and me together, having a guest on. But Showtime's. Let me make sure I get this guy. This guy's got a longer title than like the Duke of Essex in uh, <laughs> the royal family. He is the president and sports. Excuse me, the president of sports and events programming, Stephen Espinosa. He's the guy in charge of. Showtime's boxing uh, business, but not just that. It covers basically who's the guy in charge of sports at Showtime. It's Steven Espinosa. He'll be Will here around 1130. Will you call that weasel what he is to his face? Will you, Luke? Will you have the balls? I never thought he was a weasel. Even before I worked at Showtime, you can go back and look this up. So he gave me like a, like a 30-minute interview at Mayweather Pacquiao when I was covering it for SB Nation. I've always had a pretty good relationship with Steven. In fact, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have this job if I if I hadn't previously had a pretty good relationship with Steven. But we're going to ask him today about the huge announcement 
uh, Showtime basically laid out their entire boxing schedule for the rest of 2020. We'll get to the future of Bellator because everyone's asking about that. And hello, they have a show tonight at the Mohegan Sun. Uh, so we'll talk to him about that as well. Uh, the future, what's up with Floyd Mayweather? I don't know. Stuff like that, BC. Um, yeah, and he's a great he's a great guy and an even better guest. So we're excited to do that. Uh, you know, shout out to the Viacom CBS family here. But we're going to bring it. We're going to sling it and bring it. And like I mentioned, I know we got into some of the headlines, storylines heading into this weekend on the Monday show. But uh, good week for fights, right? We got boxing. We got two different MMA promotions going at it. It should be fun. Yeah, very quickly. I, I didn't. I wanted to start with UFC, but I just have to get your opinion if we can. By the way, of course, give the video a thumbs up. Subscribe to the channel. If you want to try Showtime, you can. You can go to Showtime.com. You can try it free for 30 days. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can pound sand. And obviously, you want to get MK merchandise, and of course you do. Uh, Store.show.com. Okay, BC, with that in mind, very quickly, because I want to talk about UFC before Steven gets here. Uh, I reacted to it yesterday on my radio show. I'll just give you the floor here. Uh, Tyson versus Roy Jones Jr. <laughs> was announced. And the for folks who may have missed it, it is uh, an exhibition. It is for eight rounds. They won't wear headgear. Andy Foster, the head of the California State Athletic Commission, promising that they would not go for the KO. They're just going to move around a little bit. We'll talk about Jake Paul being on the undercard, which makes me just want to die. But let's just sort of stick to the... Scenario in the main event, 54 years old versus 51 years old. What do you think? Uh, it's, it's a really hard topic to get into because one thing, it's on brand for me, right? Hashtag old guy fights. That's the promotion I'm trying to get off, uh, off the ground and on the street. And, I mean, could this be a better matchup for that? In some ways, it's great because it's an exhibition. So if you're fearful of, of you know, Mike Tyson and uh, what getting back into fighting can do at this age, at least he's doing it against another old guy right Roy Jones Jr. who you know his career kind of went on too long and he was fighting pro as recently as 2018 I'd rather see that than Mike fight a real fighter a contender or even you know some some schlub they 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 padded up to from you know another McNeely type uh, or equivalent at this point but at the same time uh you know I don't know I'm, I'm not feeling a lot of it I'm not feeling the uh, hey, let's come out front and say we're not going to go after each other. This will be a showcase of skills. Okay, so this is a sparring match, and it, it would be different maybe if I didn't already still have the stain uh, uh, you know, on my clothing from that 2006 pay-per-view. I don't think a lot of people remember. Tyson retired in 2005, right? Showtime pay-per-view with Kevin McBride. He kind of just sat down and quit and was like, I'm done. That's, that's fine, Mike. But then he came back a year later and wanted to do this sparring world tour where he would put on pay-per-view cards in every city. And they tried one, and they put real fights, quote-unquote, on the undercard, and then he sparred Corey T-Rex Sanders wearing a T-shirt and headgear in the, quote-unquote, main event. And it was sloppy, and it was gross, and it was sparring. And the pay-per-view idea got shut down right after that. So um, I don't want any kind of exhibition that's just crap and a waste of our time. I've got further issues, Luke. Could you pick a worse date than Canelo Alvarez's return and possibly a big fight against Callum Smith and also a UFC fight night in Vegas? Yeah, yeah, I mean, come on, you guys. And the third thing is this. Mike's linked his name. And, and again, let me just preface this by saying, 
it's hard not to love and protect Mike Tyson if you've lived his journey as a super fan along with him. At this point, it's like we're more protective of him than anything. He's been screwed over by, you know, many a people business-wise and financially and made some rough turns. I mean, even his boxing promotional business a few years ago went up in flames quick. Uh, it seemed like this announcement was more about an infomercial for some app that the fight can be streamed on than it was for let's celebrate Mike. He's going to get back in there. Oh, and he's going to fight Roy Jones. Oh, my God. What's this going to look like? What if Mike bites down hard and goes for the KO and turns crazy? Yeah, there's some elements of carnival intrigue in that. But overall, it, 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 there's something that's, uh, that's extra gross about it that even I can't stop. Like questioning wow. and pushing away like look we you know uh, you you like to watch people make a love on camera luke i know that but then uh, then r kelly jumps in you're like well okay this you know I i'm not into the gold here this is going too far all right take the gold away from me um this feels like that right now yeah i wouldn't say that the sex i watch on camera is romantic but i i get your point just the same the thing that's for me bc is like i don't know how to feel about this because i totally thought that the mayweather Tension Nascawa thing was going to be a scam. And then Mayweather <laughs> went in there and just bulldozed the guy. And I was like, what went wrong yeah, here was, for the Japanese? No, you know? By the way, nobody told Tension or Floyd that that, wasn't, <laughs> yeah. that, that was an exhibition. So I was like, okay, well, I got that one wrong. So I don't want to be, you know, I, gotta, I have to be informed by how wrong I was on that experience. At the same time, though, Floyd, while certainly at the end of his uh, career there, he was, I think, above 40 at the time. It was, this, was not, this was not long ago. And Tension... I mean, it was one of the first times in a long time where I was like, wow, Floyd is way bigger than this guy. Usually it's the total opposite, you know? So, okay, that's a little bit different. But this is 54 versus 51, so that's weird. Uh, you know, yes, Tyson hasn't taken a lot of damage because he's not been fighting since he retired on the stool that day in my hometown. All right. But Roy Jones, I mean, he's been fighting since up to 2018. Uh, and he's had a few really bad knockouts, like where he got stretched along the way. And so... I, you know, I've had two reactions from fans about this, BC. One is uh, my reaction, my initial reaction. And I don't know if it's right. I'm just telling you how I feel, which is I don't quite get it, right? Because you can, to me, it's like if they're going to have eight rounds, okay, no headgear, but they're just going to be moving around. Let's say that that's true. They're making it safe enough, but then it's just boring. Well, okay, what most fans want is for it to not be safe. They kind of want to see, you know, a little bit of action. But the problem is, it's like, do you really feel good about a 54 or a 51-year-old man getting knocked out, like, and you're paying money for this in an exhibition when they're not? I mean, it's like heads we lose, tails we also lose somehow. I don't, yeah, to me, I the mean, proposition is not clear. There's a best-case scenario middle ground that I've seen a lot of, you know, casual fans who, by the way, this will attract in droves in theory. Uh, they've been mm -hmm. really excited about it. I mean, God, my mom texted me this morning and said, you flying to L.A. for this Tyson fight? And I'm like, well, no, <laughs> no chance. But, uh, look, people love the idea that if they go in there and, okay, it's supposed to be an exhibition, blah, 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 but there's no headgear, and Tyson hits pretty hard, and Roy Jones... Uh, has had some comments toward this tail end of his career when interviewed and asked about hanging on too long that he's like, you know, I'm willing to die in there and that might be my destiny. I mean, we've heard comments like that in the past. So this could best case kind of turn into an interesting fight where Roy's fought heavyweight before. He's been at the cruiserweight limit in recent years when active. He's going to have potentially speed and stamina advantages that could be dramatic. And then you offset that with Mike's absurd power 
oh my god, what's this going to look like? Okay, for a round or two, it, it might be sneaky fun out of nowhere. But if it becomes like a war, it, it's going to get sad quick, Luke. And um, It I mean, feels you know, to me, I, I was going to say, it feels to me like you ever go out to drink and you get like really drunk, but you're okay. And then you have that one last shot and you're like, we'll have one more. One more will really do us good. And that was the one where you just went and you hit the tipping point into nausea, vomiting in the back of a cab. You know, yeah, you wake up fighting your with neighbors a, with a slop fest. Yeah, I, you know, we've yeah. been there, Luke. We've been there. That's what oh, it feels way, like to me. People might counter and say, like, BC, what the hell are you talking about? Right? You eat, you eat out of a gas station. This is everything you would want. Okay, if it plays out to perfect scenario, it's intriguing. It's interesting. A critic of me might say, hey... Didn't you watch Kimbo versus Ken Shamrock and kind of sneaky love it? It was short. Nobody got extremely hurt. There were, you know, ebbs and flows of momentum. Uh, Dada 505 didn't have a heart attack. Like, yeah, that was actually maybe not a bad piece of business in the end. Okay, maybe this could be that. But I hate eight rounds exhibition. I hate, uh, you know, what the California Commission saying. I don't know if that's the only way you can get this sanctioned. Didn't Pat Militich just have a professional kickboxing fight last weekend? I don't know how the world works anymore, Luke, but I'm going to go into it with easy caution and probably end up being entertained in some form in the end. The last thing I say about this, because I want to get to some UFC talk before Steven gets here, it's really quite simple, which is I cannot stand these people being like, oh, what's your problem with Jake Paul if he's really training hard? What's the problem? I'm like, everything. Jake Paul is able to have a career doing this nonsense because our economy is totally broken and provides for the most perverse incentives. I mean, listen. Well, whoa, uh, look, no YouTube on YouTube crime. You've made your career off the same platform that the Paul brothers have. Okay, right, so but I don't, don't charge, I don't charge, now. I don't charge people to go watch me me do mediocre weightlifting. That's the difference. I stick to what my area of expertise is, which by the way, I didn't get on YouTube until after 10 years in the game uh, or more of just, you know, being in the trenches and working. It's not the same. More to the point, it's like, listen, if people want to pay money for something that they see value in, that's just the American, that's any economy, fine, I don't care. And I get that it doesn't hurt boxing. I'm not one of these old fuddy-duddies that's so out of touch that I recognize it's damaging for the sport. I don't. But the one thing I just don't want to see, if you want to buy it, buy it. If you don't, don't, whatever. It's all up to you, I don't care. The one argument I just don't want to see trotted out is that we have to like dignify it or that we have to say that this is good for boxing because it's going to bring in new fans. Shut the fuck up. No, it is not. Wow, it did wow. not back then. It's not going to now. It is such a load of bullshit that people f just trot out there to get you to buy into something that obviously doesn't speak to most people's rational expectations. So I get it, BC. Hands in the air. I'm old. They're cool. Whatever. I'm just telling you, don't bring that argument around MK because it ain't, it ain't got no life around here. Hey, how about Nate Robinson getting involved, though? I can I can be in on that. Uh, also, um, it was a little weird that commercial Tyson put out of, like, Mike Tyson's Legends League. I mean, what do you give that? 17 days before it goes under? <laughs> I mean, what the hell is that? What the hell is that? Yeah, I don't give it much. Uh, very quickly, if we can, let's get into this uh, card for this weekend. We talked a little bit about Till and Whitaker. I want to revisit it, if we can, very quickly, BC. I had a thought. I actually spoke. Did you speak to either of the main event headliners this I week? I did not. I, I got a chance briefly to speak to Darren Till. He was in a great mood. He's funny. I had asked him, I was like, dude, have, I've noticed you've been a lot like 
I don't know. You're having more fun this year than you had early on. It was so intense, you know, and like full of uh, angst and uh, and expectations. And now he's kind of laid back and cool. He said it was absolutely true that the loss really made him change his perspective because he wasn't having fun. But the thing about it, when I just think about it stylistically beyond just sort of like the mental posture that both of them are bringing into this one, BC, which one do you think is more likely? Till said that Whitaker's problem against Adesanya was that Adesanya is a brilliant counterpuncher and Rob just kept trying to crash into him. And so eventually he was going to go down, right? It was just a matter of time because it was a bad game plan. And I was like, but why would he be any different for you? You are also a bigger counterfighter uh, in this particular case from the Southpaw position. Won't he do that to you? And he's like, well, I'm expecting him to adjust, but I'm like, which way? He didn't really have a good answer. Obviously, he's keeping some of that concealed but in terms of how rob will fight what do you think will be different from the adesanya fight uh probably a little bit more patient giving everything in this circumstance but i think you know eventually he'll settle it this is whitaker he'll settle into a flow where it's activity that's going to win him this fight i mean look if what's the biggest criticism of till at times he just doesn't do enough right like you know i'm sorry the stephen thompson fight was close i know i always harp on that but god he didn't deserve to win that in my eyes and he's been pretty darn good at each of his step-ups but has there been a darren till win outside of again you know too busy cowboy running into his fists where you're like man that was a thorough beat down this guy's ready no he always leaves a little bit too much on the table and there's an opening there for whitaker to just do what he does best to pressure you not recklessly but to show you the full well-rounded game i'm interested in seeing if this fight goes to the ground luke and that's where it's ultimately decided that's interesting. So who do you think takes it there? Rob? You know, I, what, what flaw does Whitaker have? None, except for the questions coming in about, you know, I guess everything. Not necessarily his heart and his fighting spirit, but the questions about the, the toll mentally and physically that, that, you know, his top end run as champion has taken on him and, and the, uh, the, you know, his body falling apart. As long as he corrects that, I'm telling you, this has the potential to be a one-sided fight. And I know there's a lot of Till fans who are like, dude, stop hating on the guy. I love him. He's got a great personality. He's driving Mike Perry crazy right now. But, uh, you know, if Whitaker, again, is 80%, he wins this fight cleanly. That's interesting. I, didn't, I, I don't know what to make of it because, on the one hand, I think Till fought Gastelum so smart and clever and patient in the way you're describing how Whitaker might be here. I think that's probably true, too. I think Whitaker will. I mean, if this was a three-round fight, I think it'd be a different fight because you kind of have to step on it a little bit, especially when uh, Till is such a strong starter and then not that great of a finisher. At five, you can kind of bleed him out a little bit. The thing I just can't get, I can't get past is, like, on the one hand, as I think Till rightly noted, Whitaker had a bad game plan against Adesanya now that hindsight being twenty twenty. But Masvidal knocked out Till in a similar kind of way, that kind of switch stance blitz. You know, you don't know what's coming or going. You eat a huge shot. It's like, if I'm not saying... Uh, Masvidal and Whitaker are both very capable strikers in that regard. So that also seems like something to me that could be a problem for him. It's an interesting one. I think the winner gets a title shot. The bigger question is, what do you think happens to the loser? Till loses, Whitaker loses. It's bad. Is it catastrophic? No, it's not catastrophic. And and uh, you know, and we got 
roasted by people for our takes on uh, Gastelum last week. Oh, how can you say he's not oh, did elite? We? Didn't you see him push, uh, you know, Adesanya? Well, look, you know, when you have three losses in a row, though, that's a different category here. Uh, it's not catastrophic. I'm wondering, though, if we see a completely relaxed Robert Whitaker, maybe for the first time, maybe a big part of his problems. Like maybe he was just running on fumes against Adesanya and was more worried about, I got to get back in the cage. I got to be healthy. I keep having these issues that are pulling me away. Uh, oddly enough, you remember when Rose got slammed on her head and the first thing she said was, you know, I- I'm relieved. I mean, there's pressure being the king. It drove George St. Pierre out of the sport to a certain degree. So I wonder if we're going to get a relaxed Robert Whitaker and if that makes him extra dangerous. But to your point, you'll take a- either one will take a step back. Both have pretty strong name value, though. You know, I mean, even higher than Gaslam, I think, in terms of their-, their UFC brand value, where they'll be back in it. They'll have to win one or two, but they'll be there. Let me ask you about this one. I, I did a, a couple of segments on my radio show this week. When Gustafson came back out of retirement, or at least announced that he was, and saying he was going to go to heavyweight, everyone was so interested. And I feel like the interest has kind of died down. Now, I don't really know why. Maybe it's just fatigue or the world's gone crazy and people just can't concentrate. Or maybe I'm just misreading it. It could be. But I, I would love to know what you make about Gustafson going out against Verdun because my whole thought was, people are like, oh, how's he going to look at heavyweight and i'm like well he can't really change too much of what made him great at light heavyweight which was great jab great footwork um you know ton of different weapons well-rounded good takedown defense good takedowns when he needed it like that blahovich win for him when he had to wrestle the guy it's kind of aged pretty well actually given how blahovich has done so he's he can do it all we know he weighed 240 pounds and verdum is 242 BC, is he going to be fleet of foot in the way that he needs to be? You hope to be. I saw the picture of him on the scale, and it was a bit surprising. I do think this whole storyline, you're right, it's, it's fallen under the radar. How will Gustafson look at heavyweight? I think there's, there's like bright potential here above just, okay, can he extend his career? It's a curiosity. Let's see how he looks. He's fighting a, you know, a big name in Verdun, but he's fighting the guy at the right time coming off of you know, two bad losses and, and the, uh, in a, the inactivity between the two of them and all that. Where it's weird, Luke, that gap between, I say it all the time, the gap between light heavyweight and heavyweight it can be the widest in, in, in some situations, given your skill set. Where at 33, when he walked away from, from 205, we were like, okay, you, you've been through the wars. It's probably never going to get better than this. You're probably never going to be able to beat a Jones or a, or a Reyes or whatever, and you'll just be a tough out. And yet suddenly now, we, if you really look at it, you're like, What's going to stop this guy from having a Ryan Bader type situation in a new weight class? And I know Bader was a little bit more fresh, certainly, and in a better spot in wins and losses when he took the chance and moved up into that tournament. And I know he fought different level of competition potentially than Gustafson will face here. But the whole idea of a guy who's still young enough is going to have an inherent speed advantage is such a detailed striker. And, oh, by the way, has really good size at 6'4". And, you know, you mentioned the Blahowicz fight. 6'5". 6'5". He's not 6'4". 6'5". That aged well. I just went back and watched the Daniel Cormier title loss uh, two days ago. That's aged extremely well in terms of a great performance. He took DC down. He stuffed takedowns. I mean, that was the full game. That may have been the last time we've seen him at his 
five-star ultra elite level, uh, there is a lot of potential because you can use those advantages at heavyweight against older, slower guys, and your age is not an issue. And when you have, like John Jones, which is why I've made a long case that Jones could go unbeaten for a stretch at heavyweight, uh, if you have got the size to go with it and you can you can stop the takedown and take people down, it's a different story. I'm not saying Gustafson's going to walk in there overnight and be a new fighter, but he has the skill set to do that. I mean, even Alir Latifi moved up, and I know it wasn't the best fight, but you're like, he may have found an avenue for, for a longer career here if he focuses on wrestling as a heavyweight. This is very interesting, Luke. The size, he's going to have to prove to us that it doesn't matter, that it's just extra blob on him. I mean... Didn't work for John Vellante as much, but uh, you know we'll see what happens. <laughs> well, here's the thing. For folks who may not realize, I looked at, I looked at the tail of the tape, at least with Verdum, and Verdum is a huge guy. Um, Gustafson, 6'5", to his 6'4", 79-inch reach to Verdum, 77. So like in terms of the frame, anyway, he's got the frame. We'll see how the size does. Again, he was so light on his feet and sticking and moving at light heavyweight. He's going to have to retain some of that. But you brought up some great points. 33 at heavyweight is in no way, shape, or form old. Not even close. It might even be on the younger side, to be quite honest with you. Now, yeah, he may, he may of... have the time to like learn and, and adjust and grow and figure out the best heavyweight version of him. It's that early in the process. Right, so that's the question. Is that Does his game... To what extent is his game at heavyweight, his game at light heavyweight? For Daniel Cormier, it was pretty similar. They had basically the same game, but sometimes when guys move up... They change it just a little bit. So I'm curious to see what happens there with him. Um, but the part for me that I, I can't get out of my head, BC, and I wonder what you make of this part too, is let's say he goes up and does well. Now, there's a big question about how well he will do because do I think he can beat the Shamil Abdurakimovs of the world? Yes, I certainly do. I think he can make it inside the top 10, although we'll see you know, how things go this weekend. But it seems plausible in theory he could do that. You start getting up to the JDSs and the, the Francis's, and then I just don't know what to make of that. But I'll say this. If Gustafson goes up and looks good this weekend and then gets another good win at heavyweight against a ranked sort of well-known name, do you think that that makes it a little bit more likely that John Jones comes back, which we know his beef is about fighter pay and about the principle of the matter, and he doesn't need it in the way that Gustafson badly needs a rebrand here. I understand. But how could John Jones look around and see, wow, DC got to be a champ champ. Here's the other guy I vanquished twice, and now he's up there kicking ass? Like, maybe I should just come back and just make the best of it because... It's just it makes more sense in the end for what is available to me, given the circumstances. Yeah, I think that's a great point. On on look like that will only speed up John coming there if Gustin's able to go in there against Verdum, outbox him completely, and and you know and and if he can control him and stay out of trouble on the ground, certainly and look great, that could be a tip in the in the cap of John thinking he can do the same. And also, let's not forget when John took that stance publicly about the pay. That was when we had no live gates. We still have no live gates, but we have deep pockets in our friends at the UAE. So uh, that could also fuel John's return the same. I think ultimately, final point on Gustafson is going to come down to his punch resistance, Luke. I mean, he's been in there with, with heavyweight level punchers when you're talking about like a Rumble Johnson and a, and a DC. And, you know, and, and he, for the most part, although I know he got blitzed in that one fight, but for the most part, he's incredibly uh, sturdy and has great punch resistance. So we'll see if that can hold up. For sure. We're waiting on Steven Espinosa. He should be here any minute. But for the uh, time remaining, Jesus Christ, dude, I can't be the only one who looks at this co-main 
between Shogun and Little Nog, and it's like, it's the trilogy, and I'm like, it's the sadness is what it is. <laughs> Dude, I hate to say this be- because I, you know, I'm certainly no doctor. I can't make a claim like this. It would be absolutely the biggest surprise of my career if both of these guys end up with no long-term ill effects from brain trauma. And I'm not saying this as some kind of joke or punchline. It's not. I- I'm legitimately worried about them both. I'm not as worried right now based on the recent signs they've shown. I mean, if you look at Shogun Hua's record, it's like actually sneaky, really good in the past five I years. Didn't say, I didn't say he was bad. I just no, said no, he's I taking a lot of abuse. Promise. See, the problem for him, and even Little Nog to a certain degree, although he's 44 and it's a different story, is they got old early to where we can go, okay, they're not the same title version, meaning 32 years old, 33 years old, yet they were still great enough as what their role became as a gatekeeper that they never suffered enough damaging losses to 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 really speed up their exit and it's allowed them to linger and yes this is a sloppy trilogy they might as well go eight rounds with no headgear and promise not to knock each other out luke but uh you know maybe it'll be sneaky good i don't know i don't hate it as much as most people i hate it I hate it. I don't know what we're going to prove here. We're not even on Brazilian soil. So there's a lot there's a lot not to love here, but would you rather the other, see the, these two fight each other than some young horse that's going to walk in there and and wallop them? Yes, Luke, you would. The other part is like Shogun ended up actually becoming a UFC fan favorite cuz he still had enough left in the tank to become a champion while he was here, whereas Little Nog was first of all never as good as his brother, number 1, or at least as successful anyway. And number 2, Dude, this is an old Brazilian top team versus shoot-to-box rivalry. Are either of these teams still around? <laughs> it's like, what, what, what are we? What, what anachronistic Zillion, vibe are we going for here? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, it may be the matchmakers just going, uh, you know, why are we going to get either of these guys hurt right now? If they fight each other, the old school crowd will care. I mean, there's a market for it. I love that shit. All right, there is a market for it. All right, well, let's go to our guest now. We've never had a guest live on the air like this with you and me, BC. It's pretty pretty special. He is, uh, well, he's the man who signs the checks, BC. He is the president of sports and events programming. When, when you ask, hey, who is in charge of sports at Showtime? It is our next guest. It is the one and only Harvard alum, Mr. Stephen Espinosa. Hi, Stephen. How are you? Welcome to the show. Uh, do you get that question a lot? You know, who, who, who over there is in charge of Showtime sports? Is it like that, that tone of disbelief that you just asked it with? They're like, is that the guy that was feuding with Connor? <laughs> right, I'm like, exactly. it's the guy that was feuding with Connor. Steve, Ivy uh, League? I, I didn't know about this side of the game, all right? Yeah, you're, you're, Stanford, actually. We, we, you know, uh, Harvard's the Stanford of the East. But, um, oh, that's right. Yeah, oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah, sorry. There's only one Harvard. Right, right. Yeah. Yes, that's right. I forgot. My, my mistake. Uh, okay, well, that in mind, uh, Stephen, thank you for making some time for us. We appreciate it. Let's get right to it with the boxing schedule that got announced on Wednesday. So it seemed to me quite deliberate, right? You had Top Rank coming back and they were kind of piecemealing the rollout in terms of what fights were coming. Some dribbles of announcements from Golden Boy and Matchroom. You guys decided to come out and say, we're just going to give you the entire rest of the schedule for the rest of the year. It seemed quite deliberate. Talk to me about the strategy there. What were you looking for in making that kind of an announcement in that particular way? It, it, it definitely was deliberate. We said early on that we weren't going to be the first one's back um, for for several reasons, nor were we going to be the last one's back. Uh, but one thing we wanted to do is to come back with a uh, you know high quality schedule of meaningful fights. Um, you know, sure we could have come back earlier with you know with fights that that didn't quite have the same impact, um, but that's just not 
wasn't interesting to us. Um, you know, that wasn't where we were going to go. Um, and, you know, we, we liked the idea of trying to impose a little bit of logic and predictability on, on boxing. I know those are things that don't go with combat sports, um, but, you know, whenever we can, go, being able to set out a schedule of five or six months, um, it's, it's, a, it's a pain in the butt, but it is absolutely worth it because, I, you know, it just signals that, that boxing doesn't have to be uh, sort of ad hoc, case by case, fight by fight. We can do this in an organized way that, that looks like uh, the other major professional sports. I, I think that's a, a, a big advancement for the sport. If we can start, you know, acting like a, a professional organized sport, and this is one part of it. So the big question for me is, inside the UFC, there's a lot of reasons why they've been able to have their premier talent compete. And we could delineate them, but for lack of a better description, essentially, they just have more control over that kind of a thing. You've been hearing from a lot of high-end boxers, not all of them, but a lot of them that like, if there's no gate, I'm not going to compete. Now, I've not heard that specifically from the Charlo twins, but they're of that level of the other kind of boxers who have been saying that. So I guess my question is, you see Top Rank, again, they're, they're out there rolling shows. I, I commend them for it, but they don't have their premier product. How are you able to, like, what, what is the economic mechanism that got these sort of A-listers to be able to compete, including uh, Gervonta Davis and, and others? I think what it is is really just a mindset more than anything else. And that is, look, we, we don't know what the future holds. We don't know if we're going to be back in crowds, you know, October, November, December, or whether we'll be doing fanless, you know, into 2021. Um, so in light of that uncertainty, everybody in the sport has one of two choices. Either you can sort of say, look, I'm going to hang around and, and wait uh, until some undetermined date, you know, and I'm not going to do big fights until we can have crowds back. Um, and, and I understand there are some of those, you know, Wilder Fury, you know, you're not going to walk away from $10 million plus at the gate. Um, but, you know, short of that, what you've seen from everybody on our schedule, and particularly the, the pay-per-view fights, is, you know, they're saying, look, we don't know what the future holds, but we're not going to wait. Um, we're, we're not going to be sidelined, waiting indefinitely. It's not good for the sport. You know, it's not good for these guys' careers. So they're saying, look... Um, if we need to take a little bit of a hit, you know, we're going to. Better to continue to proceed your career than to put it on hold indefinitely waiting for uh, a day where we can be in front of fans, which who knows when that's going to be. Uh, Steven, there's a theme, ongoing theme of this show. We remove the fourth wall. We, you know, we don't protect anybody. We bring it. And knowing you personally, that's also your style, your Twitter account always riding the edge of probably getting you suspended, and I love that about you. Uh, look, the, uh, the boxing media one year ago, they were, they were writing your obituary from the standpoint of, we love Showtime, great announce team, great production, but they're on the way of becoming the next HBO and getting out of it, and you've heard Bob Arum of Top Rank many times say, you know, cable premier boxing, you know, boxing and premier cable homes, it's, it doesn't work anymore. It works better on big sports networks. And of course, we know PBC splits time with Fox. This announcement, though, I mean, I think under the guise of a quarantine, it's an A+. I think even without that, it is so strong because it's competitive. There's variety. There's a lot of good stuff here. Uh, does this say, like, Y'all must have forgot Showtime Boxing, the best in the business at this moment. I mean, you had to like a little, a little bit of a, uh, you know, two words for you when you dropped this. The, 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 the reality, it wasn't the 
the primary focus or the objective here was was to answer that. But, uh, you know, sure, this this sort of removes any questions. And, and to be clear, the questions really or the doubts or uh, the rumors of our demise were coming from two sources um, and two sources who were particularly objective. They have their own interests in, in building boxing elsewhere. Uh, but neither of those two sources have any visibility into our business. So for them to be able to um, generalize and say, look, you know, the business isn't working for Showtime, that's, that's not a decision, it's not a judgment you can make from outside. So, yes, look, is there a little bit of personal satisfaction in doing a schedule this big, in doing a schedule that is more comprehensive, more meaningful, um, I think higher quality than what anyone's done in boxing before, um, you know, in this current environment? Yeah, yes, you know, that is job one. Um, but also saying, look, you know, for all those that you doubted, uh, you, there's a reason we've been here 35 years where we're not going anywhere. We're as committed and enthusiastic and we know the sport, you know, better than anybody. So, um, you know, we're not going to answer every sort of criticism. We'll just continue to do what we do and let our work speak for ourselves. Uh, the modern boxing game as we speak right now in 2020, Stephen, uh, look, the, we know it, the promoters are very tied to their exclusive network. It's, it's created a, almost like a separate uh, group of leagues. Yes, we do see some crossover at the very highest level. We do see it sometimes at the lowest level in terms of uh, promoters sharing fighters and all that. PBC is in a unique spot with two major networks, as I mentioned, Showtime and Fox. What is that conversation like ahead of this launch between you and Al Heyman, the PBC founder, in terms of what fighters are right for Showtime, what fighters are right for Fox? Because I almost see right now that, you know, there's a focused look at certain divisions in the Showtime rollout. And like I mentioned, competitive fights that seem to have, hey, if this guy wins this, he may be fighting this guy down the road on Showtime. Look, um, the, the dynamic is really clear. You know, at, at Showtime, we want all the best fights. I'm sure they feel the same way at Fox. Um, you know, and, and it's the same situation with the NFL. You know, CBS wants all the best NFL games, um, you know, wants to have a better schedule than NBC and, and ESPN. Um, you know, the, the reality is there's, there's good events and they can be spread out everywhere. I'm, I'm really happy uh, at the quality of our schedule top to bottom, not just the headliners. The headliners are in tough fights, but top to bottom, they're competitive fights and more importantly, meaningful fights. And, and I think that is what's necessary right now. I am, you know, in, in this whole era of the pandemic in those sports, I'm, I'm sort of a contrarian. I don't think that there's pent up demand. I, I don't think that that's what is going on right now. If anything, it's the opposite. You know, our audience has pretty much figured out how to exist without us for several months. You, you never want your audience to get used to not having you around. Um, so we need to come out strong and remind people why they love this sport and remind uh, people of the best this sport's to offer. Coming, uh, coming out with a schedule of, you know, four, six, and eight rounders that, that aren't particularly meaningful isn't the way to bring you know, sports fans you know, back to the sport uh, after a period of inactivity. Uh, Steven, I want to focus in on the two crown jewel events of the schedule that were announced. It's two pay-per-views. The first is the 26th, as I mentioned. It's going to be a pay-per-view doubleheader with both Jermall Charlo and Jermel Charlo. 
what it was the genesis of this idea i love it because i actually went through and i was searching every boxing online forum i could find and it was a consistent theme with this event one it was the totality of it like oh we're gonna get both charlo brothers okay two it was they both got real fights on their hands and then three that the card was sort of filled out all the way down it wasn't it was this was the one that they highlighted on the showtime schedule as being the most stacked so why go so heavy on the 26 with the two brothers in this way part of it is um is an acknowledgement of the economic conditions that we're um that we're in um you know look employment is at record numbers um there's a lot of financial stresses um and you know they're really want to deliver value for someone who's going to put down their hard-earned money uh, on this on this pay-per-view um you know and the other aspect is you know this is an important fight for the sport it's an important fight for the charlos in particular um and we wanted to make it feel big we wanted to get back on uh on the calendar with big big events like this idea originally um, was was taking a cue from WWE and what they did with WrestleMania and having two nights, and that's where we additionally mm-hmm. wanted to do is have one one Charlo on Friday night, one Charlo on Saturday night, one pay per view price for two evenings of entertainment. We ran into the same problem that WWE did, which is that there are technical challenges to doing that with cable and satellite companies. That um, I won't bore you with the reasons. You know, it has to do with uh, you know keeping the pay-per-view window open for more than 24 hours. Um, so once we figured out that that couldn't happen, the next best thing, let's turn it into a doubleheader. Um, we see doubleheader, you know, NFL games, doubleheader NBA games, baseball games. Um, we've never seen a really a doubleheader boxing event. Um, so, you know, here we just, knowing uh, the, the financial challenges a lot of people are under, we want to make sure that this one, over-delivered in terms of, of value um, during this particular time. And then the other one, of course, is the Gervonta Davis and Leo Santa Cruz fight. I believe that's scheduled for October 24th, also a pay-per-view. I mean, so there's, there's sort of like a big story about Gervonta, right? The good side, obviously, is I'll never forget when he fought Gamboa in Atlanta at the end of the year. I was actually out with some friends, Stephen, and I was going down 8th Street Northeast in D.C., and every single sports bar had on the fight. I was, I was kind of amazed. I was like, wow, this guy's about to break, break through, and this is the fight that could help him really enter that next level. Still, he has been getting into a bit of trouble. I think it, it's not a thing we can ignore. We talked about it a little bit on Morning Combat. Now, he's been, I guess, out of the headlines more recently, which is great. But still, some of the, the video was a little bit upsetting. I wonder what your response is to what all has been happening around him. Look, um, it, it, it was certainly upsetting to us as well. Um, and we, um, you know, Gervonta is somebody I have a personal relationship with. Um, you know, and, and we've, we've talked about that incident and, and, and similar issues, um, you know, extensively. Um, and, uh, you know, I am, I'm, I'm confident that he, uh, is remorseful and he's committed to do better. Now he knows he's not going to get, uh, you know, many more chances, um, you know, at this point. Um, and, you know, only time will tell, uh, in terms of whether he's, uh, able to avoid those sorts of, of situations and temptations, um, and, you know, and those kinds of conflicts. But, you know, if he is, the sky's the limit for him. I mean, you know, look, boxing is, is filled with stories about unfulfilled potential and, 
and distractions and other problems which sort of take uh, promising young fighters on a path that they didn't expect. Um, if if he can you know stay on the straight and narrow, he has proven that he can resonate with casual fans. Um, you know, and it, it's he's got that that it factor that you just can't quantify that draws people to him. He is a, a charismatic young fighter. I think he's um, he's got um, you know you know the world ahead of him if he can if he can sort of stay on the right path. The other yeah, thing that absolutely. I found about the fight that's really interesting, Stephen, if I may, it's I don't quite know how this works. It's going to be for the super featherweight title and the lightweight title, so two different weight classes at once. How does that work? Pound title, and, and Leo's got the 130-pound title. So in order to defend your 135-pound title, all you have to do is weigh in under 135. Uh so if you're fighting actually for the 130-pound title as well, you know, weighing under 130 will satisfy the weight limits for both titles. So the fight will be contested you know, really at 130 pounds, uh, but the 135-pound title will also be at stake. Um, I think the last time it, it's been done was Sugar Ray Leonard, so it's been a while. But it's an you know, interesting twist on, on the fight. It brings it to much higher stakes. Um, not just two titles, but two titles in different divisions are at stake in that fight. Uh, Steve, I don't want uh, to jump in and nerd you out on Showtime trivia, but let's not forget the uh, Floyd Mayweather Marcos Maidana pay per view rematch in 2014. They did the same thing, putting Floyd's 54 title on. Nice little trick there, Fair certainly point. adds to the stakes. I want to double back quickly on the Charlos, though. They did a double bill main event with Fox in 2018 and flipped a coin to see who would go on last. The reason why I bring this up is what I love about these guys, they are so insanely competitive that any interview with them at any time can go off the damn rails. They've sent me to hell on my own podcast. It is what it is in the end. How the hell are you going to take these two brothers who are competitive against each other and just say, you two figure it out. Who's going on last? That's exactly what we're going to have to do. You, you probably saw it on the, uh, on, on the zoom. Uh, you could already see them angling, you know, staking out their, their, their territories in terms of, of who goes, uh, who goes in the late slot. You know, Jermel clearly hasn't forgotten that he lost the coin toss uh, last time around. But look, uh, I'm not going to get in the middle of it. They are insanely competitive. Um, I, I don't think it, it matters all that much. Um, you know, if, if uh, you know, the second game of an NFL doubleheader isn't necessarily any lower in stature than the first game. I, I think here you've got, you know, two really great events. You've got four world titles. Uh, on on one uh, on one pay per view card, um, so I, I think you know I'll, I'll let them. I'm sure they've you know whether it's rock paper scissors or you know arm wrestling or whatever they do in the Charlo house to settle these disputes. This certainly won't be the first one or the last uh, between those two guys. <laughs> Love those guys indeed. Uh, I mentioned Floyd in passing before. He's still, you know, the biggest brand in the sport whenever he wants to be, and he's got a great relationship with you guys at Showtime, and we know that. If I'm looking at, you know, if I'm playing Showtime matchmaker in the near future, I still feel like Floyd Connor too is the biggest fight you could possibly make. Uh, in general, what are your conversations with Floyd? Do you believe he'll fight again and fight, you know, on Showtime pay per view in a blockbuster? I would, I would love, love for him to do it. Um, you know, and trust me, we've been. Um, pressuring him, cajoling him, um, 
you know, every every verb you can think of uh, in terms of you know getting him back, whether it's uh, against you know uh, another Pacquiao fight or McGregor fight or, or something else. Um, you know, I, I think the sport is is better off when when he's around. He brings a level of, of visibility and awareness that really uh, I think rises. It's the tide that, that lifts all boats. Um, so I think it would be great not just for our business and, and for Floyd's, you know, pocketbook, but I think the sports benefits from, you know, from that mainstream visibility. Having said that, you know, other than the last the first six months, I don't get the sense that he's actually been that close uh, to coming back. Um, sure, he's flirted with it and you know things like that, but at the end of the day, you know, what more can he achieve? I mean. Yes, he, he loves to do big events, and there are big opportunities there. But you know, when you've devoted your entire life to something, um, you know, including you know, twenty years of being a, a professional boxer, um, look, at a certain point, you probably deserve to be left alone. Um, so, yeah, oh, so I, I've I've backed off uh, in terms of that. Um, I'm hoping that that he still comes back, but uh, there's part of me that's that's also hoping. Look, you know, let him be happy uh, on his own. He's doing a lot of training. He's still in the gym. Um, he's raising his kids. Um, you know, let let him have a life outside the sport. And he's at an age in his early 40s where, you know, he's done enough. We've seen enough yet. Still close enough to, to greatness that he could pull it off. Other guys, though, Stephen, have people worried, like 54-year-old Mike Tyson and 51-year-old Roy Jones Jr., uh, did, did Showtime pass on this fight? Uh, now I think it's going to appear on some app here. Uh, you got any thoughts on this, Stephen? This eight-round exhibition. We typed to to Mike and, and Kiki and his um, and their representatives early on, um, and we you know given the relationship with Mike and, and, and his appeal, um, you know we certainly were were interested in the event. Uh, you know I think they um, felt like you know the financial opportunities might be better somewhere. Uh, somewhere else, um, you know, I, I don't think it's it's fully established yet. But you know, the reality they had, you know, people offering them, um, you know, tens of millions of dollars to get this done. And, and you know, I, I think if there's that, that level of interest on a guaranteed sum, then I'd say you know more power to them. Um, you know, yes, it is a bit of a, a freak show, um, but it is Mike Tyson. He's a phenomenon unlike any other. I don't think anyone's going into this, you know, expecting this to be, um, you know, the, the, the biggest and most skilled boxing event they've ever seen. Um, you know, it's a it's a way to enjoy um, some of the greats again. You know, it's very clearly an exhibition. Um, I don't I don't put it in the same category as, as sort of, you know, the elite fights of today in the sport. But, but I'm also gonna, not going to say that um, they're not entitled to do it. If they want to come out and entertain and it's done in a safe way, then more power to them. Uh, Stephen, uh, there is a – you mentioned something I thought was kind of interesting, which was you know, that the audience had to be just kind of been managing without boxing for a time and you wanted to kind of like you know, snap them out of it. And intuitively that sounds quite right, but the UFC seems to have a bit of the opposite belief that they have really – benefited from the absence essentially of alternatives so which is it are they coasting to a higher sort of tide uh, as it were because they don't have to worry about football or boxing or anything else or uh, how do you how do you like 
reconcile those two different competing visions? Look, there's certainly a a general benefit from not having to compete for attention uh, in in a very busy sports calendar. I think there is some benefit to that. Um, And and I think they were able to come back relatively early, you know, and and I'm sure the fan base appreciates that. Um, But I think, you know, it comes down to quality fights. Um, And I don't think that, I think there are some that think that, look, just come back with anything and people will be so thankful to have it and so desperate that you'll get a pass, that you'll get by. Get by. And, and I guess what I'm, what I'm really ranting against more than anything else is, is that, uh, that, that sort of expectation. I think as combat sports fans, we should have better expectations for our sport. We shouldn't just be thankful that it's there and say, well, I give them credit for doing something. No, it, it's it's fair to request meaningful to expect meaningful, competitive fights, high quality fights, and and to not watch it if you're not getting that. And I, I think um, you know there have been some UFC events that did great. There there have been some that did you know below what they had been doing pre pandemic. So I think you know it, it really goes to the quality of the the events. If you're doing quality events, people will come. Uh, I don't think that even at this time you're going to get a pass for doing events that no one really cares about. Um, even if they're desperate, I think at a certain point you're just—it's not going to resonate, no matter how desperate the fan base is. Uh, I do want to talk very quickly, if we can, about the COVID safety protocol that you guys are going to have at the Mohegan Sun. By the way, Bellator will be there tonight, and of course, I, I guess their August seventh show will be there as well. Can you give us a bit of a detail about that? I recall uh, early in the UFC's run, I think this was during the Jacksonville shows in May, where it became news that they had to sign this waiver. Uh, I guess the UFC has really walked that back, but there's no waivers anybody has to sign to get into the Mohegan Sun, right? Like, what are you guys doing to keep people safe, and, and what are the? Uh, how, how did you come up with those protocols? It's one of the reasons why we, we waited uh, a little bit longer, is so we could see what UFC did, what Top Rank did, what... Um, the NBA was doing uh, that's really been in a leadership position on all this, um, you know, and see all these other plans. You know, I've probably got a dozen different leagues plans here, and want to see how they they played out. So, look, I, I'm, I'm not saying our plan is better, our structure is better. Um, uh, I do think that we've learned and made adjustments based on what we've seen in other plans and in other events. Um, one thing I, I think that that we're prioritizing and the promoters are, are prioritizing is more pre-fight testing among fighters. Um, because the worst thing in all of this is to get those last minute cancellations. Um, so, you know, whether it's the day before, a couple days before, you know, it, it's terrible for the fighter to do all that work. Uh, it's bad for the audience, you know, and then it's bad for the network as well because we can't really, we don't have time for, uh, to find a replacement. So if, when I look at the guys at the main event, the, the guys from our August 1 card, they've, uh, the fighters themselves and their camps have been already tested at least five times. Uh, I think, you know, main event has been tested six, you know, and we tested at least two more times during fight week. So, uh, you know, as, as long as, as we're able to do that with, you know, and, and it holds with the testing demand, I, I think that's... The, the biggest difference is you know testing on a weekly basis starting four or five weeks before the fight so that you know we can catch hopefully a positive before fight week and and 
have the greatest chance to get the best quality fights on during uh, during uh, th this whole pandemic. Uh, Stephen, quickly before we go, you know, the Viacom-CBS merger has made a lot of us closer. Uh, Bellator is under the hood now. This show, of course, is as well. We're all related now in some form. Uh, sort look, of, you know, sort of. Sort of, sort of. All right, from the waist up at least. Uh, Stephen, uh, fans have seen, you know, uh, Bellator back tonight will not be on DAZN. will be on the Paramount Network, which is also in the family. We know that you oversee Bellator. What can you tell us about any future potential well, we've seen Strikeforce have a great run on Showtime in the past to see MMA back on Showtime. I, I think that is the goal long term. Um, you know, we, we, we certainly not going to put um, Bellator in a position of, of, you know, breaching their uh, contractual agreement. So when the opportunity rises, uh, you know, I'd love to see um, the event, the events back on, on Showtime, um, you know, as well as across the Viacom company. And, and I think what's interesting, at least from the combat sports nerd element of this, uh, is we've set a pattern here of, of how we can collaborate with, um, with sort of our affiliated company. Um, you know, we are setting up, you know, one time and staying there for a couple of months. Um, we may extend, we may not, depends on what the situation is. Um, but there's no one else uh, in there. It's uh, same protocols, same lighting grid same set same everything we're just switching out a ring for a cage every you know basically every other week um but i, I think this this will lead to i think more synergies between the two we've talked about you know events on the same night um and maybe you know intermingled events um i, I think it's all possible once you're, you're dealing with an affiliated company and i think there's a, a lot that we can do to further expand and elevate the, the Bellator fan base. Stephen, last question before you... Oh, sorry. Sorry, yeah, yeah. go ahead, buddy. Yeah, in closing here, and uh, in your, we've been great uh, chatting with you. Appreciate your time for sure. Uh, I got to ask for the boxing hardcore here. This quarantine has, has been hard on a lot of us. It's opened up opportunities. My wife has had me cleaning out the garage, all right? Uh, I, you know, you find some old things. You rekindle old relationships. You look like you're in your office right now at, at Showtime headquarters in NYC. It's seven years later. Uh, you know, the people need to know, Stephen, Floyd Mayweather, Robert Guerrero, did you find the pay-per-view numbers? Did we break a million or not? <laughs> I think the, the statue of limitations is passed. We can be honest now, okay? This is, uh, you know, as we get back to the office, and I haven't been in the office since March uh, 12th, 13th, whatever that, that was, um, you basically have to go through a, um, an NSA security check and, and a mm -hmm. uh, review. In, in order to be let back in the office, not to mention, you know, uh, any number of tests. So, you know, I will, as we get back in, in sort of get into the work environment, I will uh, make sure everybody looks in all the crooks and the, the crevices and, and maybe we'll turn up an accounting report and we'll, we'll let you guys break it. Thank you. Can we get Geraldo yes. Rivera involved in this, please? Thank you. Yes, yes. Got to open up all the tombs. Uh, very quickly before you go, uh, Stephen, I, I wouldn't want to end on a sour note, but I wouldn't want to forget it either. Uh, it was reported just before the show that Nazim Richardson, the legendary boxing trainer, had passed away. Trainer to Mosley, even uh, in the kickboxing world, Better Hari and some other folks, uh, Bernard Hopkins. I yep. uh, wonder what you made of that and, and any comments about the, uh, the life and the career of Nazim Richardson. Um, you know, I, I knew Nassim, um, a, a really 
good guy, very thoughtful guy as a, as a trainer and, 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 and as, a, as a man. Um, you know, he suffered a stroke a, a while back, and a lot of people thought that that might be the end of him training, and it turned out that he, uh, he continued on. He fought through it and, um, and continued to have a lot more successful years. Like, I, uh, I think he's one of the most, you know, thoughtful, underappreciated, um, and undervalued guys in the sport. Um, just a, 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 a really well-rounded guy, you know, who, who cared about his fighters um, in and out of the ring. Um, and so, I, I, you know, his loss will, will definitely be felt. You know, I, I'll probably always associate him most with, uh, with Bernard Hopkins. Um, and the, the part that I remember about Nazim is, you know, he had a, a, you know, a set of code words, as a lot of trainers do, um, but his were always really colorful. Um, you know, he, when he's yell, yelling out to Bernard Hopkins, he's saying, you know, um, you know he's, he's yelling at him. He's like, pop that chain, pop that chain, you know, swim without getting wet, you know. And, you know, all of that meant something to Bernard. And I could, you can try and guess it, but it was just his manner of speaking and expressing himself. Uh, it, was, it was always colorful. It was entertaining. And, and it meant something to the fighter. So I, you know, that's, that's probably what I'll remember about him most in connection with boxing. Well, Stephen, it's the uh, first time we've had you on the show. First time that Brian and I have had a live guest. You know, maybe the last time, depending on how things go, but we appreciate your candor. Uh, congratulations on the debut of the uh, boxing schedule. Can't wait to see it, quite honestly. I mean that genuinely. It's been, it's been a long uh, a winter, so to speak, and uh, it seems like it's going to thaw out a little bit. So thank you so much, and uh, hopefully we'll talk soon. We're going to have to start to do, maybe we'll do a reveal show on, on Morning Combat. We can do it like the NCAA tournament, where we're, we're taking names off the board and, you know, and, and revealing things. Let's, let's make this like a six-hour announcement. I love it. Listen, I love it. Steven, we tip, are pathetic uh, careerist uh, social climbers, if ever there were some. Anything you want to debut on the show, it's a yes, okay? <laughs> Good to know, guys. <laughs> there he is, Steven Espinosa. Thank you so All much. Right. All right, very good. Uh, BC, uh, let's get to this here just a little bit. First of all, appreciate Steven coming on. You think we're going to get fired for some of those questions? I'm just wondering. Probably not, right? No, no, it was great. It was great. Steven always always deals with the fastballs very well. And uh, well, yeah, here's the thing know, that like Jose, here's the thing that like fans don't appreciate who just come from MMA. Boxing promoters slash like high level folks in boxing, they're much more willing to spar over topics than like in MMA, right? In MMA, you they don't want to do that at all. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Uh, you know, but no, Steven's got a great personality. People will, people get on him sometimes because McGregor got up all in that ass, but uh, but uh, a great leader as well. It's good to chat with him. Look, they, let, let's hit it. Let's hit the Showtime schedule. It's strong. It's really strong, okay? You mentioned those two big pay-per-views, but there are some really sneaky, great matchups across the board, Luke. And I really think Showtime has potential here. PBC in general, that 154 division is so freaking jacked up. You really Hold could on. do a, you know, 8, 12, 16-man tournament right now. And you just look at that September 19th on Showtime fight. Erickson Lubin and Terrell Gaucher, winner, no doubt, going to get elevated to the title level. And then, as we mentioned, one half of that September 26th Charlo on Charlo pay-per-view when Jermel Charlo brings his one of four Junior middleweight titles in against Jason Bananas Rosario, who has two of the four after his upset knockout of J-Rock Williams uh, earlier this year. Luke, that's going to be a huge fight 
for power and control in this division when you consider the winner will have three of the four major belts and you consider that everyone else in the division of note is PBC friendly. You can see Julian Williams back in the mix, Jarrett Hurd. You can see Arislandi Lara, Tony Harrison. There are so many great names right now. Uh, Brian Castaño, where... I can't wait to see where this plays out. And, you know, if Steven and company play their cards right, this could be a, you know, a nice, uh, there could be some synergy here in storyline to get behind on Showtime. So let's play a little bit of a game. I'm going to play curious but clueless MMA fan. I'm being typecast. Uh, you play Boxing Insider. I'm going to ask you about some of the sort of the top line things that they might be interested in. Tell me what to look forward to. So first of all, you mentioned the 26, which is the pay-per-view. You've got Charlo against Derevyanchenko. Now, Derevyanchenko, he gave Triple G basically everything he could handle. How competitive yeah. is that fight for the WBC middleweight crown? He, he gave him hell. Look, Sergey Derevyanchenko is 13-2 and two with 10 KOs. He's gone after it in his pro career. And both of those losses were at the title level to the elite, to Daniel Jacobs, to Gennady Golovkin. And he had an outside claim of winning both. He had a much stronger claim against Golovkin last year for that vacant middleweight title. To many people, it was the fight of the year. All action, all the time. He gets in you. He's a southpaw. They call him the technician because he's got craft. But he is tough as balls. Jamal Charlo needs this type of challenge. He uh, he had been on a bit of a middleweight island when you got to look at the politics in boxing, Luke, when, if you're a casual fan and understand it. The, the Golovkins, the Canellos, all those other guys were not PBC friendly. Jamal finally has a big name he can fight now in Derevinchenko. If he wins this, and by the way, this, this is the toughest matchup to date in his career by far, He's legit. I liked what the two Charlo brothers said when they were asked on that Zoom call on Wednesday with Steven Espinoza about, you know, what are people going to be saying after this pay-per-view? Both of those guys want critical pound-for-pound -pound recognition and think they can get it in either of these matchups. And to a degree, I think they're right on. They've got extreme talent. And this is a... Look, Luke, of the fights in boxing that have been announced, I think Jamal Charlo, Sergey Derevinchenko is the best fight on paper mm. right now. Uh, yes, we think we're getting Lomachenko, Teofimo Lopez, which would probably be a little bit better or on par. And then look, Wilder Fury 3 excites us in a lot of different ways. But this Charlo Derevinchenko fight is, is absolutely fantastic. And then Jamal Charlo against let me ask, a let big me ask, puncher let me ask, let me ask, Bananas let me ask. Rosario. Wow. Let me do it. Wow. Let me do it. Jason Rosario... Uh, by the way, he's he's Latin because it's spelled J E I S O N. Uh, obviously Rosario too, but the whole point is he kind of came out of nowhere, right? He was not supposed to beat J Rock, who was not supposed to beat Jarrett Hurd, and here he is, twenty one and one. Like, what kind of fighter is Rosario that no one seemed to see him coming, and that now he's in a very good fight with Jermel Charlo? Uh, he's an opportunist because he got an opportunity to leap through the screen with his power and his aggressiveness and ended up backing up everything he had said uh, ahead of that fight. And it's like weird because, you know, we've seen J-Rock lose and then come back in a big way and beat Jared Hurd for two of the four belts and, and remind us, by the way, in boxing that you can take a loss and you can come back and be better. Uh, and then out of nowhere, Rosario comes in and blasts him through the ring. So uh, this is a big puncher. This is a huge test for Jermel Charlo, who's coming off, Luke, a fantastic fantastic uh win to regain his title over tony harrison it was an absolute brawl in december it was in the argument for fight of the year 
uh, he's on the verge of stardom. Both Charlos are. we got to be honest. 30 years old. They can box. They can punch. They're quick. They're strong. They're all that. And I think even more important, Luke, they know how to market themselves. They do the Lions yep. only bit. They're, they're edgy and angry on the mic at times. They go after people. They just need the big competition. And this pay-per-view card is giving them that. So, so again, you know, uh, I can wave the Showtime flag because they pay me. I can also tell you as a boxing hardcore that these fights really matter. So there you have the October 24th card, Gervonta Davis and Leo Santa Cruz. Leo Santa Cruz, known as uh, El Terremoto, which means earthquake. Doesn't quite look like that thing. He's very thin, but 37 and 1 and 1, 19 KOs. Gervonta Davis, we kind of know, right? Big power. They call him Tank. Kind of takes his time a little bit early. Has a huge punch. What about Leo Santa Cruz? What kind of fighter is he? Uh, full-on excitement all the time. May not have, let's say, one-punch knockout power on the elite level, but he makes up for that with almost an old-school Chavez Sr.-like ability to effing get inside on you, to get in your kitchen and just throw punches all night long. The thing is, though, he's not just an aggressive come-forward fighter. We saw that in his two fights against Carl Frampton at the featherweight title level, both fight of the year candidates themselves, that this guy is absolutely great craft. He can adjust on the fly. His two fights with Abner Mara showed us that as well. The key to this fight, Luke, whether you believe Gervonta Davis is ready for the pay-per-view level or not from a, you know, pay-per-view buy standpoint, and again, you're never going to know until you are. Floyd Mayweather didn't know until he fought Arturo Gatti that he could move the product. It's a similar launch in that situation. But you want him in there against a guy he can lose against. And the fact that this fight is going to be at 130 really evens the stakes. If it was at 135, you'd start to say to yourself, Leo's going to be over his head potentially in terms of power and taking a punch. Leo has won titles in four divisions, Luke, including just recently that vacant title at 130 over Moises Flores, which will be on the line in this one. And the fact that it's at 130 and Gervonta's got to come back down should even the stakes a bit. Look. What Gervonta does not do well, right? The flaws we can say against him. He's got all the talent in the world. There's been times where there's been um, a gap in showing that. Maybe he doesn't throw enough punches. Maybe he headhunts too much at times. Also, the this weight cut. The, the weight cut. The professionalism in the weight cut. All those areas come into play. He's a great boxer. He just never really gets the chance to show that he is. Well, he's going to have to show a lot against a guy who, if Gervonta doesn't get a knockout or if... Gervonta doesn't come ready to box, you know, Leo is going to outwork him. It's a fact. And the judges may end up favoring that. That's what makes this fight great. Obviously, there's bigger storylines from the star standpoint. They call Gervonta Tank the Mike Tyson of the lower weight classes. You know, it's a bit, that's a big statement, but it's not that big when he watches highlights. He absolutely pun can punch through people. So this is really a great fight to, to see where he's at brand-wise, to also finally give him a big name. Look, I mean, his he's had some great wins, right? But sometimes he's had trouble luring those big names. This is a big name. This is a big fish. We're going to see. All right, so then last but not least, and it doesn't have to be a headlining fight, BC. It doesn't have to be that. But if you're a fan... You're going to give Showtime a try. You're going to go to Showtime.com. going to give it a 30-day free trial. What would be the one fight that's going to air on Showtime? And again, main event, co-main event, whatever, that you've really got your eye on. That, and, and I'm not even telling you it's the best one. I'm saying it's the BC special. It's the one where you go to the, the gas station. You're like, I don't want this hot dog in the front. I want that one in the back. That's the one that I want. Which one is it? Can you just serve that in my hand with a, uh, with a, with a palm full of ketchup, please? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
like there's a few. I talked to you how I like the Lubin Gaucher fight in terms of I don't know who's going to win styles, but you want to see people bang. Sergey Lipinets is an underrated name at welterweight. Remember, uh, you know, he moved up from 140. Remember, he lost his title to Mikey Garcia, but he knocked Mikey down. He pushed him late in that fight. Sergey Lipinets gets up in that ass, if we can say that out loud, Luke, okay? He's got a fight October 10th on Showtime against an unbeaten guy, 15-0, Kudratilio Abdu Hakarov. Uh, he comes from one of those countries, Luke, where they bang, okay? They bang. There's an she IBF bang. interim... There's an interim title at stake, and you know the business at Welterweight, Luke. We're overflowing with big names. 95% of them are under the PBC banner. I think this is going to be a fight of the year contender, and I think Lipinets has a chance to really break into that overall category. And just one more thing. How about that last one in December? Um, December 12th, Nonito Donare, the legend, Donaire, uh, won titles in so many divisions, former pound-for-pound number two. He's coming off the fight of the year last year against Neyoa Inoue in the finals of that Bantamweight tournament, the World Boxing Super Series. The old guy pushed the young guy to the limit and broke his jaw and all that good stuff. He's back going for another title at 118 here against Nordin Ubali, who's unbeaten himself. That's a sneaky great fight. Also kind of interesting, that uh, stablemate of Gervonta, Malik Hawkins, fighting on that Lipinitz uh, card as well. The one thing that I'm looking at that I've circled, BC, that we actually don't have an opponent for yet is going to be uh, the return of Jaron, uh, or Jaron, I don't remember how to pronounce his first name, Ennis, who's 25-0. Yeah, yeah, King Tug is on that card, and then it's Lubin and Gausha on the uh, the this is September nineteenth yeah. uh, as the let's main not, event. Let's not confuse though King Tug with you freshman year in the dorms at uh, William and Mary because uh, that's very applicable. But Luke, uh, the, it's time. Anybody who's been following Showbox, anybody who's been following the undercards that we've been a part of doing the kickoff show, there are there are some good young prospects and names. A lot of them, you know, affiliated with Gervonta, same camp that's come up with him that are ready to leap off, and they're getting you know key co-main event spots and on a lot of these cards. So look out for those names: the Richardson Hitchens, the Malik Hawkins, as you mentioned. And then, obviously, as each of these fights get closer, we'll preview all of them and all the cards as well. We'll go into great detail. And uh, I wouldn't mind working some of those events, BC, but we'll see how things go. All right, before we well, get out yeah, of here... You had, we, you had a good chance there to, to, to puff up Espinosa, and you, you, know, you didn't do it, yeah, right? I know. I asked him about Gervonta. What are you going to do? That's uh, just who I am. Endlessly self-sabotaging. All right, so we do have Bellator tonight, again, at the Mohegan Sun. By the way, I've never been to the Mohegan Sun. Is it nice? Oh, yeah. I love the cool. Mohegan Sun. So, the, so there, there's the Foxwoods Resort uh, down the road about 20 minutes. That's the bigger one. That's the one that at many times has had the largest casino in the world. But I've always been more of a Mohegan Sun fan. You know, uh, it, yeah, it's very, very welcoming. What's very, the, what's the Vegas great. equivalent? If like, if I don't know, if uh, Foxwoods is the, um, what's the luxury tower at the Venetian? I forget. Um, well, Foxwoods is nice. They're not super elite Vegas nice. They're they're, oh, they're, they're East not. Coast okay. nice. Yeah. No, like it's like maybe they're like a uh, a less glitzy aria. Oh, it's okay as long as it's not Excalibur. Then I'm fine. Yeah, yeah, no, they're not. They're not seedy. You want to go seedy? Go cover a boxing fight at a casino in like the middle of upstate New York or something. <laughs> You'll find seedy. Okay. Yeah, well, have you been to the MGM in, uh, here outside of D.C. and in, in, in Oxon Hill? I have not. The National Harbor is really nice, actually. The, the National Harbor, I know. It's Oxon Hill, Maryland. I used to live there. Fucking Jay. Jay correcting me on my neighborhood. Fuck you, Jay. All right. Why don't you get, why don't you get a louder air conditioner, Jay? What is that, a jet engine behind you or a fucking 1940s 
Refrigerant. Uh, all right. Main event for Bellator tonight. Ricky Bendejas taking on Sergio Pettis. Bendejas is the guy that gave, gave the comeuppance to uh, the SBG sort of... Uh, people call him the Connor clone, but um, anyway, neither here nor there. Pettis has had an interesting run. He actually has a win over Joe James B. Gallagher? Yeah, talk about James Gallagher. Saying? Yes, I like James, though. But uh, he had one fight in Bellator against Alfred Kashkayan, Kash uh, just a guy without a Wikipedia entry. His last win in the UFC was against Tyson Nam. He kind of fell short against the better ones in that division, the guys like Henry Cejudo and Formiga and Font. Um, Bandejas is good and talented, and Pettis has a, has a tendency to let fights go longer than they should. But I suspect he'll win here, and I did like the move for Pettis, still only sitting at 26 years old to go to Bellator. Oh, yeah. Now, I mean, he could become a star there. And also, by the way, you know, whether you're talking Bantamweight, Featherweight, Bellator, you know, world-class and stocked in terms of those. I mean, we're seeing a giant Grand Prix breakout recently for a reason in that. Um, I like this fight a lot because if Pettis has a offish night or isn't as tuned in bandejas can come in there and finish you he's coming off of two early knockout wins you know following those two losses after the gallagher win uh this is really good matchmaking i think it's the right fight i think you should favor sergio pettis he's got much better experience and technique i think but uh bandejas is a live body i like it. i, I talked to john uh, big john mccarthy on the podcast this week he got me all kinds of fired up for it luke all right very good uh jason jackson taking on jordan me and the canadian should be an interesting fight. He's fighting at lightweight, which is interesting because I think most of his career has been, if not mistaken, has largely been at welter. Uh, I want to make sure that's true. Yeah, mostly he's been at welterweight, so he's going to be dropping down a weight class, which is kind of interesting. But the other one that really matters here, Taiwan Claxton, taking on J.J. Wilson. Taiwan Claxton, sort of a standout wrestler. But the bigger one, B.C., is the return of Aaron Pico. He's taking on a donk. By the name of Solo Hatley. Couldn't tell you much about him. I don't think he has a particularly distinguished record, but I'm not saying he's a scrub, but he's just I can really tell not you some on the things. Uh, well, here's, here's, here's my view on this. I've seen a lot of people be like, oh, he should be fighting someone better at this point. No, he shouldn't. First of all, he's yeah. five and three. His last fight was in January, which wasn't forever ago, but he is still very much in need of experience. All of the fights that he has had, BC, they should have been at LFA or, you know, regional fucking drive-in theater this thing like it's true that bellator is better than ufc in the sense that they can take somebody who's zero and zero and give them an appropriate level of experience and they're doing that with dylan danis everyone wants to rush him but i feel like they're doing that actually just right but they went a little bit too fast with this guy and he was so much hype on him and i know he beat leandro ego and that was like oh my god it's amazing but he clearly is just not quite ready for the next level, which means he won't be ready ever. It's just take your time with this guy. He's young. He's talented. He's with Brandon Gibson and the, the guys at Jackson Wink. He should win this. What I'm looking for him is patience, execution, calmness, strategy. That's, I think, the key for me tonight, BC. What about you? Yeah, I talked to him a couple months ago in the midst of the quarantine, and, and I really liked what I heard. You know, the move to Jackson Wink, moved everything down there is embracing the culture. He's got horses on the ranch there. I mean, he's uh, he's living the life. And he's saying, Luke, for the first time, he's not just reacting physically. He's not just thinking, okay, I, you know, I'm, I'm, 
I'm a better boxer, wrestler, and athlete than all these people, so I'm just going to come in and flash that. He's listening to his coaches and understanding why they're implementing a certain game plan and why it makes sense. So, you know, this has been the best thing he's needed, this humbling, it seems. Obviously, it wasn't ideal for a guy that Brett Okamoto once said on ESPN is the, you know, most hype, the, the brightest prospect in MMA history, and I think he was right at that point given the, uh, the you know, the amateur, uh, you know, uh, accreditations that, uh, wow, how about that word, that, uh, he has had but look um he's got to go wrestling first luke you know what i mean he, he can finish you especially after using the the shoot as a as a threat but he's got to go wrestling first and build off of that he's got to play it safer he's got a better defense even in that knockout win in january i thought he got hit a little too much hopefully he can get there um in terms of his opponent solo hatley he's eight and two and big john mccarthy did tell me He's going to have a massive speed advantage over Pico. In fact, he's got world-class elite-level speed, although he obviously doesn't have the experience, and he's certainly the right opponent at the right time for Pico. Um, it's going to be an interesting fight to see where he's at. It's more about not making mistakes, I think, you know, than anything else in, in, in utilizing all the strengths that he brings to the table. But it's reality TV every single time Aaron Pico fights from here on out. Uh, and obviously it would be at featherweight. And from the prelim card, nothing really of note. They did just announce before the show, Chandler and Benson Henderson is official for 243, August 7th, also at Mohegan Sun. Matt Mitrione against uh, Timothy Johnson, for those who are interested. And Curtis Millender taking on Sabah Homasi. I think we covered just about everything, BC. What did we miss today? Well, we Nothing, touched right? briefly on, on Brother Nazim's passing. You know, obviously that's, that, that's a, a big hit to the boxing game and a, and a legend. And I loved the run he had as Bernard Hopkins is almost like wise Yoda during that run, you know, where Bernard in those late 40s was winning the light heavyweight title. And uh, I had so many great one-on-one -on -one talks with Brother Nazim, like in the gym in Philly and stuff. Like that guy just lived it and has such a funny way of looking at the sport. You know, he told me after, I'll never forget, in Montreal, deep in the locker room, after uh, Bernard Hopkins had beat John Pascal in their rematch and set the record as the oldest champion of boxing history, I'm like, Nazim, like, you're not a guy that wants to see people get hurt. You know, how much longer can Bernard do this? And he looked at me and he's like, man, until I can look at the top 10 and, and, and not see six guys Bernard can beat, I'm never telling him to, to leave and walk away. And uh, mm. he just had a quirky way about him, and, and he was a smart guy, obviously, and, and did a lot of things with big-name fighters. So tough to see. Thank you, Brother Nazim. A career in this sport, a lifer. Loved it. Yeah, and uh, if you ever watch any, for me, as a guy who missed a lot of years in boxing due to, like, MMA coverage, um, I still recall, like, one thing that stands out to me about him is, yes, he was good in interviews, but his uh, corner advice between rounds was always so clear and so obvious. And when his fighters were in trouble, he did not pull punches either, so to speak, right? Like, you need to show me something, or this is going to be the end of it. Or, you know, he just had, he just had a certain, like, ease with boxing about when to push, when to pull, when to, you know, break, when to gas, um, and sort of what it all meant. Brilliant, brilliant guy. Philly owned, you know, uh, from, uh, from the day he was born until, uh, obviously, today. And a uh, real tragedy for the game, but, you know. A, a life well lived in many respects, I think, is an important Absolutely. thing here. Remember, Luke, uh, you know, ch changing subjects quickly. Remember mid-quarantine, we were like, man, there's no fights. But if everybody comes back at the same time in the second half of the year and loads up these schedules, it's going to be a wild final six months to the year. We kind of have that potential between the Showtime mm -hmm. boxing announcement. Obviously, PBC is going to come back on Fox. Top rank reloading for some big cards. The Zone's back. Bellator. UFC. 
um, this could be a, a, a great time to be to be subscribed to the Morning Combat podcast. We're going to have to do, you know, more than one episode on, on the regular, I would, I would have to assume. Probably, although you did get one thing wrong in the Espinosa interview. It was true that when the fight was first announced that DAZN was not covering tonight's fight. They are tonight. They actually are. But, you know, you know, we'll see how long that lasts. Interesting. Did you know that? Interesting. I did not hear that. That is very yeah. interesting. Last minute, last minute change yesterday. DAZN okay. said they were going to air it. So shout out to Days In on that one, yeah. Days definitely. In, old Howard uh, Luke, Johnson. Yeah, Luke, you want to update the people on what they should expect in the near future? Because tomorrow, I'm 42 years old. I'm wow. out of here. I'm on vacation, brother. All right. That's right. Happy birthday. What are you doing for your birthday, you old piece of shit? <laughs> uh, my wife bought me a Peloton, by the way. Uh, I think she's a little <laughs> nervous about my lack of fitness or mental positive mental health. So uh, yeah, you're, get you're on the bike, be... you fat fuck. Happy birthday. I may have to broadcast this show from the bike a few days a week uh, moving forward. Um, yeah, so I'm going to be getting in shape a little. Uh, no, I'm, uh, I'm going to be on a lake house. We're going to have a good time. Uh, you know, BC's going to get fat, drink a lot of beer, look at the sunsets. Uh, what are you going to do? You're going to put on a show next week? Uh, so what we'll do is there will definitely be a um, there will definitely be a dissected from the weekend. We're, we're toying with ideas. If folks would like to see like a Monday kind of live chat show uh, where they just get to ask questions in real time, and then I'll just go for like an hour. And sort of cover all of the weekend stories that way. I can do that. If they have another idea. And folks are like, oh, why can't we just have something like Chuck on? Now, we love Chuck. But this setup requires a certain amount of technology that we have to ship out to people. And there's just no way to do that right now with him. So it can only be me or BC. And if BC can't be here, then it can only be me and vice versa. So if you've got any ideas, we're kind of open. LukeThomasNews at gmail.com. Um, what about at the bare, people at a bare that minimum will, that will email and say, uh, you know, what about Jay, the, the, the director, the producer? The, the, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't hear him because of the uh, stealth bomber that's fucking flying right next to his ear. <laughs> sorry, you Jay, know. you were only coming through in waves. Your lips move, but I can't hear what you say. I know, it's like, Jay, why is your podcast studio at Cape Canaveral where, Na where NASA is launching fucking SpaceX shit into orbit? Why are, why are you doing that? I had no idea what you were doing that for. That makes no sense. <sighs> Just saying. All I know is if I come back next week and the damn schmo replaced me, you know, we're going to have problems, all right? Maybe hell. I'll say, I'll say this, though. Uh, people ask me, like, what your favorite holiday is or, you know, your favorite day of the year. And when you're a kid, it's usually either Christmas or your birthday or something, right? But now that I'm a dad, I got to tell you, Father's Day is better than uh, my birthday. Because now that I'm over the hill and over 40 like you, I'll be 41 in just a couple of weeks. People are always like, you old ass bitch. Aren't your balls dragging on the ground, you old ass hoe? <laughs> and then on Father's Day, everyone's like, wow, you know, Luke, uh, here's their cheers to you for being such a great dad. Like everyone's all happy apparently about my contributions, whereas I get nothing but insulted on my birthday. I think Father's Day better than birthdays, BC. Yeah, it is pretty incredible. Uh, Mother's Day in my house is a monster. I can't hear BC. What happened? Did he just like, die on us? Uh, Christmas BC, and we can't hear you, together, fucker. Whereas we Father's Day you. becomes a month. It comes a month later. We've is it just me or we can't parenting. hear BC? It's more like let's just leave oh, the that audience alone can hear him. All right, well I can't. So I'm, I'm a massive. Yeah, I can't. BC, thank you, thank you. Are we frozen? What is what the hell's happening? Okay, I'm gonna wait for his lips to stop moving. BC, I cannot. Are we live? What is what is happening? 
VC, I cannot hear you. I cannot hear you. All right. All right, here we go. I cannot hear you, so I'm going to get out of here. We have on. to get out of here anyway. I have another job. That's the sort of way this thing goes. All right. Uh, for uh, By the way, of course, uh, give us a thumbs up on the video. Subscribe to the channel. As always, we are available on social media as well. Morning Combat on Insta. Morning Combat on YouTube. We'll be back Monday with some kind of coverage. Let us know what you guys want to see in the comment section below. Or, of course, you can email me as well. For BC, I'm Luke. Thanks to Steven Espinosa as well. Until next time, may all of your gains be loyal.